Welcome to Teaching Artist Podcast, a show dedicated to discussions of teaching art to kids, making art, and how those things overlap and feed each other. I'm Rebecca Potts, your host, a visual arts teaching artist. been a rough week. Between wrapping up the school year with extreme uncertainty about the future and all of the loss and hatred in this country right now, my little family has reached a bit of a breaking point. Well, the two adults have. The almost five-year-old is loving riding her bike and getting extra TV time while the two of us try to decompress. One bright spot for me is speaking with other teaching artists on this podcast. So a huge thank you to all the artists I've spoken with. And thank you for listening and cheering us on. I'm so excited to share this episode with an art teacher who just exudes enthusiasm and always puts a smile on my face. Back in March, I spoke with Cassie Stevens. Yes, the Cassie Stevens, art teacher extraordinaire. If you don't know her, just Google her name. I have to admit, I was super nervous during this interview. Cassie Stevens is such an incredible art teacher and has been so generous in how she shares her knowledge and experience with the world via YouTube, her podcast, her books, and now her Instagram live series. I tried to ask her about things she hadn't shared elsewhere, which is hard to do because she shares a lot, and loved hearing about her own creative process and practice, including some hesitation to just dive into new materials and techniques, learning to be okay with shifting passions, and the benefits of being a hoarder. (laughs) She talked about scratching your creative itch and working your passions into your teaching to bring enthusiasm to the classroom. It was also so refreshing to hear that despite seeming to magically produce an insane amount of content and fashion while teaching full-time, she is just as human as us all. And she just has a lot of projects going on all the time, many of which take months or even years to complete. After spending entirely too long at Indiana University getting her degree in both painting and art education, Cassie Stevens did her student teaching in the magical land of Ireland. While she was away, her parents, fully aware of her slacker ways, sent out 52 art teacher and job applications to such faraway places as Alaska. One such place that called her for an interview was Nashville, Tennessee. On a whim, she loaded up her jean jumpers, resume, and chain-smoking grandma to make the trip to Nashville where she landed her first teaching gig. Fast forward nearly 15 years and Cassie has settled down with her husband and their three cats. Sadly, she'd fallen into an art teacher in slump, rehashing stale art lessons, still wearing sad jean jumpers, and doing little creating of her own. It was then that she decided to create a blog that might help snap her out of her funk. Zip forward once more to the present. These days, you can find Cassie teaching in Franklin, Tennessee, just south of Nashville. She's written two books filled with sewing and clay crafts for kids and art teachers alike. 
You can also listen to her podcast where she shares all things life and art teacher in. So I am so excited to be talking with Cassie Stevens. Hi, Cassie. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing these days? Great. I'm in my pajamas. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, I've still got my sweatpants on. (laughs) Yeah. I usually start by asking about your background and like, what's your story? But you're so well known and you've shared your story before in many places, one of which is your own podcast. So everybody, if you haven't listened, go listen to that. I feel like listeners already know a little bit about you. So I loved hearing how you went to school for painting and then kind of added art education for practicality. And now you're just an amazing art teacher. But I'm <laughs> I'm curious if you still paint outside of like the demos for teaching. You know, um, that was my passion. Um, getting up yeah. degree was just amazing. And um, I didn't know that painting was my passion until that sophomore year in college when I uh-huh. walked into that painting studio, smelled that oil paint, and it was just like love for sight. In fact, this past winter, I always like to make a little pilgrimage back to Indiana University where I went to school. And I always love to go into the painting studios when, you know, it's like a Saturday that I love that they keep the buildings open. You can just go in there and look at the artwork the kids are working on and smell that same smell. See, I swear it's the same coffee pot and all that. And I, you know, that's, that was my first creative love. I mean, I've always loved creating, but that was where I guess I fell in love. Yeah. No, I no longer paint oil paintings anymore. And that was really hard for me because when I started teaching, I got away from creating for the longest time. Mm -hmm. And then when I decided to really start getting more in touch with my creative side, my knee jerk reaction was to circle back to oil painting. That was my, my passion for a long time. And when I went back to it, it just felt weird. It felt like putting on a pair of shoes that no longer fit and trying to really force my foot into it. And I I really beat myself up for a while for not still being in love with this thing that I used to. So I don't paint as much anymore in that same manner. I definitely don't use oil paint and, you know, just because it's so impractical in my world. It takes forever to dry. It's very stinky. It's hard to, to clean your brushes. Um, Uh, I do do paint the occasional thing to decorate my house or I loved Mm -hmm. for Halloween, you know, just decorations and things like that. And I usually just use like acrylic kind of paints, but it's not the kind of painting that I, I guess would have considered back then to be something I would have been passionate about. You know, back then I love to do figurative paintings and paintings that told a story. Whereas now I just love to paint beautiful, bright pictures that make me happy when I see them in my house or in my classroom. Yeah. So, and I'm, I'm fine with that. You know, our, our passions change, our interests change mm-hmm. and forgiving yourself and just kind of following your gut is what it's all about, I think. Yeah, totally. And that gut led you more towards fashion now, right? Yeah. And, you know, I always loved fashion. In high school, I I'd always wanted to learn how to sew. I begged and begged for a sewing machine. I don't know why I didn't just put a couple pennies together, go down to the thrift store and get one because, you know, you go into any thrift store and you can find a machine. Uh Um, And so I actually did a lot of hand sewing. I remember I hand 
and hemmed a skirt Ooh. and made a hat and all these kind of things. I wow. went to the thrift. That is a labor of love. <laughs> oh my gosh. I don't know why I thought that was a great idea. Cause I remember a buddy of mine was like, why didn't you just use a machine? It would not take <laughs> you so long. But I, I just loved standing out and being different. Mm-hmm. And so when I realized that painting wasn't my thing, I thought to myself, well, what what am I interested in? And that's when I thought, you know, why don't I learn how to sew? It's, you know, never, never too late, right? And I think there's some things that we always tell ourselves that they're too difficult to learn how to do. And so when I got a sewing machine, it sat in a box for like a year because I was just like, ah, it's going to be too difficult to learn how to do. And you know, the diff, the most difficult thing is just getting over yourself, you know, just mm-hmm. pushing yourself out of the way is the most difficult yeah. part. And once you've kind of done that, then you realize, oh man, this was so easy. I should have done this a long time ago. And I also discovered uh, needle felting, which mm-hmm. is the process of using wool fiber and a, a very sharp tool that looks like a needle to kind of paint with. So I have done a lot of needle felting, which for me is my way of kind of combining two passions, you know, my painting background and then my love for fashion. And it's like painting with fibers and then you can wear it if you choose to. So I know it's, it's I love amazing. That. It's pretty amazing. So that's, I guess, where I am now. Yeah. So yeah, definitely something I enjoy doing. In fact, I'm sitting here with a, a dinosaur dress that I'm trying to frantically get done because I'm, I'm teaching dinosaur week online oh, this week. I love it. Yeah, so <laughs> a big Tyrannosaurus Rex on the front of a de- uh, dress on my mannequin right now. Nice. <laughs> and <laughs> I love it. Oh, and with your needle felting, I know that can be 2D or 3D. Do you keep it mostly two-dimensional? Like it's sort of like paintings, how you think of it? I do keep it mostly two-dimensional. You know, I learned the hard way in college that after a a cardboard chair, we had to make a cardboard chair that could support our teacher. My chair, it did not support, that was the only criteria, it must support the teacher or you fail. Well, mom was cute, but I was like, oh, Lord, I hope she's not going to put all of her weight into it. She did. And she was little also. Side oh, <laughs> it went crashing down to the floor. And I, that's when I realized, you know, maybe 3D isn't my bag. Yeah, I, I have tried my hand at 3D felting. You can do it. It's just not for me. You can't really wear it, you know, so mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe little tiny ones as like a pin or something. <laughs> you know, I said you can't wear it, but you know, earrings. Oh, felt yeah. Shapes would be really fun. But Ooh, I just kind of, there you go. Yeah, I just prefer the the flat kind of thing. And mm-hmm. you can get a needle felting machine, which looks like a sewing machine. It just has mm-hmm. lots of needles that kind of stomp its way through your piece of whatever you're creating, which is a tremendous help if you're doing something large scale, like I've needle felted coats. Wow. And, before where the machine really, really comes in handy. Yeah, I've only dabbled years ago. And yeah, it felt like a lot of stabbing, <laughs> which maybe is a good way to get out some some energy. <laughs> oh, it's but. like the ultimate way to like, 
the stress out. Yeah. Um, I got into it by taking a wet felting class, which mm. I absolutely hated just because it, you know, the minute the wool gets wet, it smells like a big wet dog. It's like oh. not my thing. And there's a lot of standing over a sink and just really, really working with that fiber. And then you can't control it once it gets wet. It kind of moves mm. as its own thing. But after that class, the teacher was like, you know what? I don't want to take any of this wool with me. So if you guys want any of it. So I scooped up a bunch, had it for several years, and then decided to try needle felting with it after a trip to anthropology, seeing a very expensive sweater that I loved, but realized, I think I can make this with those those wool supplies that I got for my class. The benefits of being a hoarder. Yes. Uh, <laughs> the rare benefits. Oh, yeah. And I loved how you were you were talking about making, kind of circling back, making your dinosaur dress for teaching about dinosaurs. So I know you do this a lot where you you're, what you're making works with what you're teaching. Which kind of, which comes first? Is it you, you're thinking of the lesson plan and you're like, okay, how can I incorporate something fun that I can make into this? Or do you have the idea of like, I really want to sew an awesome dinosaur dress. I'm going to tie in dinosaurs into this lesson. <laughs> <laughs> well, that might have happened a couple of times. <laughs> Usually it's the lesson first and then yeah. what I be creating. I, I like to think of it like, the way I explain it is having two paths, like a creating path and a teaching path. And mm-hmm. when I have what I'm creating align with what I'm teaching, then I have found that I can usually have success with both my lesson and then my, you know, scratch that creative itch as well. So for example, doing dinosaur week, with the students I'm teaching online, which is free and open for anybody to join. Yeah. And they're amazing. If you're listening, you should go join. It's been a lot of fun for me. Yeah. Knowing that I was going to teach that, I was thinking, well, you know, what kind of fun, creative thing can I do also? Mm -hmm. And knowing that I had this fabric in my stash, I think I bought this dinosaur fabric maybe a couple of years ago or last year from Joanne's when I saw it. As soon as I saw it, I was like, oh my gosh, it had serious Miss Frizzle vibes. I had to have have it. Didn't know what I was going to use it for, but thinking, okay, I'm doing dinosaur week. What can I create? I'll make a dress. I've even thought about making some like polymer clay dinosaur earrings. It just really helps me stay excited to teach something because I've also created this thing that I can wear to teach my lesson in. Yeah, It really helps me align my creating my teaching path and be happy and hopefully successful in both. Yeah. And I feel like it also engages the students more. And that's something just seeing, you know, the lessons that you have shared recently online, but then also all of the YouTube lessons that you have and sort of videos of you teaching. I feel like that's something you do really well. Do you have any advice to someone who's kind of struggling with that engagement and especially online now? Well, I think the big thing is, is to find what you're passionate about, where your interests are, and then then think about your lessons. Mm-hmm. And then think about it as two paths, mm-hmm. like how to bring in your passion to teach your lesson. For example, let's say that you're really into gardening 
and you want to teach, because I'm an art teacher, I'm going to come at it from an art teacher perspective. You want to teach a lesson on Vincent van Gogh. Maybe you could bring in some plants that you've grown, some irises, some sunflowers, and then share how you've grown those. And then also tie it in with maybe some of his paintings of sunflowers or irises and create a lesson based on that. Or if your passion is baking, could you make some sort of, I don't know, sheet cake with a starry night painted Mm -hmm. on it that you share with your students? Or better yet, let them kind of engage with some icing and create a a painting on, I don't know, a vanilla wafer or something like that. So when you start to think like that, I always get really excited. And whenever I'm excited and I can teach with that excitement or that enthusiasm, it's contagious. Your kids are going to get excited because you are in that place and they'll join you there. So think about your passion and then think of just creatively what what ways can you bring that into the lessons that you want to share with your students? Absolutely. And do you feel like that's what is most exciting for you about teaching, kind of sharing your passion with the kids? It's definitely keep, kept me engaged yeah. and it's kept me, it, it's kept me creating because mm-hmm. for the longest time I thought that I just shouldn't be creating. I should be focusing on my lessons. It was way, a waste of time to be working on these things that were a quote distraction, taking me away from planning out projects and stuff like that. It's not a distraction. I mean, even if it doesn't tie in with what you're teaching, it's just, it, it's a form of self, self-care. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that we have to make sure that we keep ourselves in mind and our passions in mind and keep pushing towards those and keep pursuing those. You know, we can't let that go, even if it's just sitting down for a little while and creating something small, Mm -hmm. something that just is satisfying to you and you alone it'll make you a happier person and a happier teacher because of it. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like for me, I making art is sort of a therapy and, and my work isn't really connected to teaching and I don't always share with students, but just having like a a practice, an art practice of some sort, whether that's, you know, painting or fashion or needle felting, whatever it is, or all of the above. (laughs) It's it's does. You're totally right that it keeps you kind of grounded and and happy and wanting to come in. Yeah. Do you have a specific time that you always do? Do you are creating or Um, is it more organic? I mean, from it used to be much more organic, but I have a four year old right now. So it's usually after her bedtime when when I have a little downtime. Yeah. And what about you? What time are you fitting in your own creativity? I, I, I love that you have a specific yeah. time. I think that's, <laughs> I didn't I, used to. <laughs> I, well, I think that you have to, yeah. right? I mean, for that reason alone, but I think that that's wonderful. And that's, you know, like a, a cherished mm-hmm. moment or moment, you know, for you, a gift to yourself every day. Me, I don't have children. So I have a little, and of course, right now I'm not teaching. So I have a little bit more of a luxury of time, mm-hmm. but I really, I'm like you, I, I love my evening time, mm-hmm. you know, after dinner, after for an evening walk every night. I'm a night owl. So just like when everybody's gone to bed, except for me, that's my favorite time. And it just depends on my mood. Sometimes I'll be in my sewing room where I'm sitting right now surrounded by like dress patterns and stuff. And (laughs) other times it's just, you know, catching up on 
my favorite Netflix shows and just sitting and painting or playing with the polymer clay or whatever. Yeah. But it's just, it's such a great way to end a day. Mm -hmm. I feel like, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Makes me very, very happy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I've been playing a lot with polymer clay lately, doing kind of like you were talking about needle felting, like I'm sort of painting with clay. Mm. And that just the act of like mushing the clay is such a sort of like therapeutic act for me, just sitting there. And yeah, what have you been? Well, now sort of I had been doing these like landscapes of my neighborhood and now I'm doing interior scenes. Wow. (laughs) Sort of appropriate right now. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm curious about whether you would ever want to kind of push your your work even further as in getting into the commercial side of fashion or like designing things that would be produced and sold? Would you be interested in that? Have you thought about that at all? You know, I, I have thought about it. And you know, it's funny, because every now and then a friend will say, Oh, my gosh, you should go on Project Runway. Or yeah. you know, now there's all these amazing fashion shows, which I love making the cut. Yeah, love. I mean, next in fashion was a fabulous one on Netflix. Uh-huh. But, you know, those people possess actual skill. (laughs) (laughs) And I am a self-taught seamstress. And a lot of times people will say, you know, oh, I'd love to buy one of your dresses. And I just think, you know, you're seeing a very small picture of it on your phone. If you could get up close and see how crooked the (laughs) seams are, how terrifying it looks on the inside, you would be singing a different tune. But, I, I, you know, there's some things where the idea sounds really cool. Like, yes, it sounds amazing to have like an art teacher and clothing line. Sounds fabulous. But then when you get into like doing the nitty gritty, the actual work behind it, mm-hmm. the fun evaporates real oh, fast. Yeah. <laughs> so I've thought about it and I've done a little bit of digging to know that that actually calls for a lot of like responsibility mm-hmm. and, and things that I, I might end up taking a lot of the joy out of it for me. Yeah. But man, it would be really cool to see other art teachers, you know, wearing something that I'd created. Yeah. But I'm not there. So I'll just put a yet on the end of that, but (laughs) add the yet on there. It's always a possibility. (laughs) Yeah. Did you, I know you've written now a few books. Did those projects also kind of have that feeling at the beginning? Like, oh, this is a lot. What have I, (laughs) what have I gotten myself into? (laughs) It had that feeling at the beginning. It had that feeling in the middle. It had the beginning. The first book I wrote had 52 clay projects in it. And, you know, when I was approached by the publisher and I was just so flattered, I feel like a lot of us have write a book on our bucket list. Mm -hmm. So when the opportunity presented itself, I just kind of blindly said, yes, I'll do it. And Oh gosh, about, uh, you know, just like two weeks in, I'm like, Oh, what have I done? Because it's not, a matter of just like coming up with 52 projects that have to be original, by the way, you know, you have to make sure that it's your creative content, Mm -hmm. but then I photographed all of the, the process steps and you have to make sure you don't forget any steps when you photograph them. And then you have to 
articulate those steps in a way that people can obviously follow along, but also children, because there it's geared towards kids being able to pick up the book. Mm-hmm. It was a lot. It was like writing 52 lesson plans with step-by-step photos. Oh, and by the way, your administrator is seven years old. <laughs> so oh. it was a lot of work. And I remember when I was in the middle of it, I thought this will be my one and done, my one and only book. And then, of course, it didn't take long for the pain of the Band-Aid being ripped off, that pain to kind of fade away for me to be like, you know, I really like to write a fibers book because fibers and sewing, Mm. that's my And so the next thing you know, I'm in the middle of a, a fibers book, which that one got released last summer. So since then, I have decided to work on a couple of other books, which I'm in the process now of, I'm going these alone. I am working on just kind of self-publishing them this time and having a little bit more leeway. And now that I kind of understand how it works, I feel pretty confident about it. Mm-hmm. And it's it's just a matter of laying it out and figuring it out from there, which I have the luxury of time now. So that's nice. But yeah, it, it, that was something that I, I have this knee-jerk reaction to always say yes to things, which is how I ended up on that show, Nailed It. You know, yes. it's just was like, and I'm like, you know. I what? saw that and loved it. <laughs> it was so fun. Sometimes you yeah. have to step out of your comfort zone and just be like, sure, yes, why not? You know, <laughs> that was, writing a book was one of those things. Going on that show was definitely, mm-hmm. I actually said no the first time they asked because I, I watched it and realized it was a baking show and it was timed and both of those oh. my hands sweat and I was like no I'll make a complete fool of myself which I did that's the whole point of the show. <laughs> but right you know a big part of just trying things is just saying yes and a lot of times I'm always like what have I done I always have that oh my gosh what have I done but you just have to plug your nose and just dive in. It's like going into the deep end of a pool. You know, uh-huh. what's the worst that can happen? There's going to be some hot lifeguard that's going to pull you out. You'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> It'll all be okay. <laughs> it might actually t- lead to like the best thing ever. You never know until you like put yeah. yourself out there. And then after a while, you stop saying yes and start saying no. Yeah. You know, because then you're like, well, now I, I know what I want to pursue. I know where my interests are. And, you know, I can't now say yes to everything. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like just hearing you talk through the process of making the book and, you know, laying everything out, having step-by-step photos, making it super accessible as like the kid is the audience mm-hmm. made, reminded me so much of what I'm trying to do now with all of this distance learning and just how tricky that has been. And I know you, you were already so great at sharing lessons online. Has this shift? Are you, are you teaching for your schools still? And how sort of how has this shift affected you? Has it been smooth? Or have you had still a lot of challenges? Well, my school has asked that we provide, you know, like one lesson that all of our students can do mm-hmm. kindergarten through fourth and just make sure that it was something typed up so they could print it because so many of I teach at a title one school. Mm-hmm. A lot of our, our students 
students might not even have access to a, um, a laptop or, you know, internet. So right. for that reason, we, we kept it really simple. And I worked with the, the team in my school district of eight other art teachers. And we, we kind of came up with something very simple. It was one of the lessons that I'd created and already had a handout and all that stuff. So, but mm-hmm. when we were first kind of dismissed two days before our spring break, I was home and I just thought, oh, this this isn't going to end with just a couple of days of being off. It's going to go for a while. Right. And I, I got antsy and I just wanted to do something more. And so that was why I kind of stepped into the, the, the live art class. And mm-hmm. I had, I've done live before. I used to do a lot of live things on Instagram and Facebook. Every Wednesday, I used to go live for art teachers. It was an evening time thing where we could just chat and I would sometimes share projects and mostly just a time for us to talk and kind of commiserate. Mm-hmm. But I'd never done a live art art class before. You know, I've done a lot of videos, but the beauty of a video is that a a teacher or a child can press the pause button. Right. But here I was stepping into that arena of teaching a live art class. And the difficult part is, is that when I start to teach the way that I have to have my cameras positioned so that kids can see it, I can't see what they're saying. I can't see their running commentary. I can't see their questions. So that that was a learning curve because I would, the first couple of classes I did online classes, I think I I went too fast. Mm -hmm. And I also didn't finish because I just thought, well, it's 30 minutes that I just talked to these kids. Surely they're tired of hearing me talk by now. (laughs) (laughs) Shut their device off. But the feedback that I got was, is that no, the kids are watching and they want you to sit in color with them. They you to finish the project with them because when I stopped, they would stop. And so they would uh. have a half finished project because they just assumed, even if I would say, and now you can finish, they would be like, nah, I'm good. I'm good. So <laughs> right. Kind of like being in the classroom, you know, their, their attention kind of stops when yours does. So mm-hmm. like today I showed how to draw a, a portrait and I now know to go very slow when I teach live. And I now know to finish what I start, even if it means I'm sitting there and coloring and talking and talking and talking for <laughs> five minutes. Right. If the kids are done, then they'll know to you know, click out. But most of the time when I I'm watching the numbers, they hang with me the whole time. So wow, it's, it's been a learning curve. Yeah. So and I I think that we're all, it's like uncharted territory for everybody. Totally. Teachers who've not done videos before are suddenly thrown in. And I've, I've gotten a lot of questions from those teachers. Like I probably get, you know, half a dozen questions a day. What are you using? How are you editing? And I, I, I just tell them, just use your phone and just press record. Right. The more barriers, it's just like what we were talking about earlier. The more barriers you put up, the less likely you're going to do it. It's Mm -hmm. just hit record and it is what it is. Yeah. You know, you'll, you'll get better. You'll get better at talking. You'll figure out how to edit, but you don't have to be an expert right out of the gate. Right. You know, none of us are experts out of this gate because we, none of us have been here before. So it's a very forgiving kind of landscape, I feel like, because everybody, mm-hmm. knows, you know, none of us went to school to learn how to do this. So we're right. right now on the fly in the field and you just, you do what you can do. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like one of my biggest barriers has been just being like self-conscious about 
the videos I'm sharing, even if I'm only sharing it with my students, like it's not a public thing, Mm -hmm. I still get nervous about that. Just use your phone, hit record, send it out. Yeah, don't read it. And there's, (laughs) yeah, don't watch it. (laughs) Maybe that's that's the little bit of advice. Like, don't be self-conscious. Your kids are going to love it. It's fine. (laughs) You'll get hung up on your voice. You'll get hung up on gray hair. You had food in your uh-huh. Just the kid, like the kids are just going to be thrilled to see your face, to hear your voice. They're not going to care mm-hmm. that your house is, you know, a hot dumpster fire in the background. They're not going <laughs> to you know. So, yeah, I know I have also been, I personally have been using Google Slides as a way to share because most of my students do have access. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of putting together slides just because for me, it was easier to pull in an image and then do my own demo video instead of trying to edit it all into like one video. Mm -hmm. But with that, I've also been putting in there like here's an optional extension that you can do. And I've been linking actually to a lot of your videos that are already up on YouTube. Well, thank you. And saying, yeah, like, try out this project. This looks like fun. But I'm curious, totally selfish question. (laughs) Are there any lessons that you remember that you've done that you would especially recommend? And I'm thinking especially of things that might help students creatively sort of work through some of the feelings they might be having right now. Mm-hmm. I did a blog post, gosh, it was back when, mid-March, when we all kind mm-hmm. of heard that we were going to be homebound. And it was all about like my favorite lessons that kids could do at home. And I also did one on my favorite lessons that I you can do with toilet paper tubes, which I did not know. That Love it. So many <laughs> projects with paper tubes. <laughs> I was ahead of the trend. But I think that there's a, a lesson that I did that's one of my favorites. It's inspired by the artist Chris Uphughes, where mm-hmm. it's draw something simple like hearts, which most of our students are able to do. And then there's a lot of expressions and faces that they can draw within the hearts. And I know our kids right now are feeling a wide range of emotions. Mm -hmm. And most of the hearts that, that we drew at the time were happy faces, but there's nothing wrong with feeling other emotions, especially in times like these. And there's nothing wrong with drawing those emotions out. And it might really help kids to kind of, to work those feelings out of their, their system, you know? Yeah. So I think that might, that might be a fun place to start. I mean, the focus is on drawing and happiness and drawing that kind of emotion, but it might also help them to, to go down another, another path with some of those those hearts too. And maybe even writing feelings, you know, and just knowing that it's, it's okay to feel all of these things right now. I mean, everybody is feeling all of these things right now. Yeah. Yeah. Just letting them know that that's that's normal and to work that kind of out art wise too. Yeah, I love that idea. So I might have to find that one and link it and then sort of pair it with either audio or video commentary for me saying exactly what you just said that, you know, here we're looking at a lesson about happy hearts, but I know you might not be feeling happy all the time right now. And that's okay. It's okay to express it, Mm -hmm. whatever you're feeling. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. It's so tricky. I have another sort of selfish question. <laughs> so I'm, I'm just going to ask you while I've got here, got you here, all the things I want to know personally. <laughs> so I've been this year, I started to try to make the shift to more tab or teaching for artistic behavior as an approach to teaching. And I'm curious what you think about that approach and if you would consider moving in that direction or if you like incorporate elements of of choice into what you do. Well, you know, I, when I was in school one million years ago and um, <laughs> for 21 years, so I when I was in school, we were kind of raised art ed wise on something called D-A-B-E. I think. D- yeah, I can't even remember the D-B- Yes. Data D-B-A-E. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was discipline based. Yes. Yeah, is that what it is? Yes. <laughs> By the way, I was the worst because my head was in the painting realm. Uh, I was <laughs> turning in the most sloppily written lesson plan. So I vaguely remember this acronym, but the basis of it was coming up with like a, a an artist to teach from or teach about, like let's say Starry Night, and then your lesson mm-hmm. kind of circles around that. You know, that was like mm-hmm. the premise. So that's how I was raised as an art educator. So about five years into my teaching, did I learn about TAB, which is teaching for artistic behavior, or it's, you know, other arms, which are like choice-based, choice-based teaching. And I've always been very curious about it. I've always been fascinated by the idea of children being their own guide for where they want, what they want to learn and where they want to take that. And, you know, for people who are interested and want to learn more, I got, I kind of fell down the Montessori rabbit hole and the Reggio Emilia, if you, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but if you are at all curious, get a couple of books, check them out from the library or do a little online digging about the Reggio Emilia schools in Italy, because they are fascinating, but it all kind of, that that kind of school kind of surrounds itself with the idea of the Montessori, you know, just letting the kids be their own guide, their own mm-hmm. guide as far as like what they want to learn. But in the art room, that kind of takes its shape with TAB. I do not teach a, a choice-based or a TAB style in my art room. I have a lot of reasons why, but one of the main reasons is I have 30-minute art classes. Oof, and yeah. <laughs> have to teach period, in 30 minutes, uh-huh. to also have a kind of open concept room. I try to do a lot of voice and choice in my lessons. And so that's kind of me tipping my hat to choice-based where kids are often allowed to choose what medium they want to use when we're doing a particular lesson. They have a, a pretty good amount of leeway as far as what they're going to create. For example, before we were dismissed. My fourth graders were creating bobblehead robots. So they had a ton of time to kind of sketch out and explore different ideas of what they wanted their robot to look like. We were going to have a lot of options for glazing. Now I know that's nowhere near the open-endedness of a choice-based room or a TAB room, but that in my parameters, that allows me to offer 
voice and choice to my students. And trust me when I say we had a wide array of bobblehead robots happening in our room. So I also love to do um, when I have early finishers, when my students do finish something early, like a bobblehead robot, I have a lot of opportunities for them to explore different avenues for creating. You know, I've got a weaving center, I've got Mm -hmm. a collage center, and I've got a building center and a drawing center. So all of those kind of centers that you would see in a choice-based room are available to Mm -hmm. when they finish early. And then some days we just go to those centers. We just have a 30-minute day that's just an exploring kind of day. So mm-hmm. I do what I can. And I think that's the thing. You know, I think you have to, as a teacher, find what works for you as far as your students, your your setup, your situation, your schedule, all the, all the S's, you know, and yep. kind of go from there. You know, and I think that teaching art is a very individualistic thing and it's individualistic for you and your kids. And like I said, and all those other things. So I think it's great to explore other options, but never feel like you have to be bound to one thing. You know, yeah, it's all about figuring out what works best for you and your kids. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, my very long my shift. (laughs) No, that was great. I feel like my shift, I had the goal at the beginning of the year, like I read a bunch of stuff in the summer and then was like, I'm going to dive right into this. I'm going for it. And then during the the school year, as I kind of rolled it out, I was like, okay, we're going to have to, <laughs> we're going to have to change some things here. This might not be full on tab right at the beginning. <laughs> and especially for me with the younger grades. Yeah. Ooh, that was, I feel like the most challenging to provide complete choice. Mm-hmm. And I have also just 30 minutes with kinder. Mm. With the other grades, I have a little longer. But with the little ones, just 30 minutes, I was like, I've got to just give them a project. And exactly like you do, give them voice and choice within that. But give them some parameters as well, because it's a lot to throw at a little five-year-old, like, do whatever you want. <laughs> right. Yeah. The, then it's just the, for my kids it's my kids lack in their home life boundaries and having boundaries mm-hmm. is very comforting. And so when yeah. there are none, it's a little scary. It's scary for any, even an adult artist. You give me a blank right. canvas, just do anything you want. I'll be like, yeah, that's too, that's too overwhelming. That's scary. So, yeah. you know, offering some parameters can also offer some structure and creativity can actually flourish within that. So right. it's all about Exactly. You were smart to just really put your fingers on the pulse and see what's working here, what's not. And, you know, don't be afraid to tweak things to change Mm -hmm. them. And then definitely never feel badly for doing so, you know, just because well in one person's room, they may be going at it differently. They may have been doing it a lot longer. They maybe just have a different kind of schedule or setup. So mm-hmm. I think we all always need to like go so easy on ourselves and really just be forgiving and following where our path is taking us. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I've tried to to follow what works well for me and then also really responding to what's exciting for the students and what's working and then what's not really working. Mm -hmm. And I know, you know, tab is not a complete free for all. Like I did have quite a bit of structure around it, 
but just realizing that the younger students needed even more structure than what I was yeah. <laughs> providing yeah. or what I had intended to provide. And I feel like that that also connected us a little bit to this idea of creative block. Like when you are given that blank canvas and you're just looking at it like, ah, oh, what do I do? <laughs> In your own work, do you do you ever get creative blocks still? And if you do, how do you kind of get past it? You know, I don't so much anymore. Now it's like I, I have, I don't, I, I mean, I just have some, so many things I want to do and so many things I want to create Yeah. that I usually just like, if I have an hour free in the evening, like we were talking about, I'm like, well, what am I in the mood to pursue? Now? Right. You know, is it my, my one art teacher friend, she makes these amazing paint by number kits of artists. That's one of my favorite things to sit because uh. I can just watch an episode of Schitt's Creek and I can just paint away and have a great time, you know, and, but I did experience a ton of block when I was starting to get creative again, when I was just so burnt out. And after my seventh year of teaching, cause I'd focused strictly on teaching when I realized mm-hmm. I have got to start creating again, I was like, okay, but, but what, you know, and like I, right. I tried to paint and I just was not feeling it. And mm. then I, that's when I was just like, well, what do I want to do? And I really spent a lot of time just being bummed out that I couldn't figure it out, you know, that I quote lost the magic, you know, uh. I hadn't. I just needed to just take a beat and just think back to, like I said earlier, what did I like to do as a kid? I like to sew. So I remember I went to Joanne's and I bought a couple of just cheesy quilting kits because I wanted to learn how to sew. And I thought this will teach me. I don't like this quilting design. It was like of a tulip <laughs> grandma fabrics and I, I needed not something I liked, but I taught myself to sew that way. And I was actually mm-hmm. really proud of what I'd made, even though it's now in a drawer somewhere. But, you know, it, it's tough to get past yourself. Mm-hmm. But I think even if it means just doing a simple craft, like a paint by number or doing something that you like to do when you were younger, at least it loosens you up a little bit, gets the, the knocks the rust off a bit, you know, and right. it will lead you somewhere that will have you excited. It's the catalyst, you know, yeah. that gets you there. So yeah, absolutely. I think we all have those moments, but just kind of picking something up and forcing yourself to do it, even if it feels goofy or silly or cheesy, at least you're doing something. At least the wheel is turning, you know? Yeah. And I feel like it's one of those moments where you have to kind of take your art teacher advice and let it not be perfect. Let it be about the process. You know, don't worry so much about the product, which are things I feel like I tell my kids all the time and then I don't listen. <laughs> oh yeah. We're like our own, we're the meanest to ourselves. Oh, you know? Always. If you had a student in your class who spoke as negatively about themselves or their artwork as we do to ourselves and our artwork, we would be all over them like hot fudge. You know, <laughs> if I had it was like, oh God, this sucks. I hate this. I'm terrible at this. I would say, oh my gosh, why, you know, don't, we don't talk about our artwork that way. We don't talk to ourselves that way. And then the minute we get home, that's the voice that we use mm-hmm. on ourselves. And we're constantly beating ourselves up and I need to do this. I should be better at that. So we need to to talk to ourselves as we would have our students talk to themselves. You know, we need to speak with a kind voice to ourselves and be gentle to ourselves mm-hmm. and, and just know that we're 
all learning how to do this and everybody's trying to figure it out. So yeah, I think that's really, really important to remember. Just be nice to yourself. Yes. You know? <laughs> yeah. And let yourself fail sometimes. Like that's how you learn, right? Exactly. Exactly. curious, when do you fit in all of these other things, your blog, you have a podcast, all of the videos that you put out there, writing books? <laughs> when, do, when do you sleep? <laughs> well, it's funny, because I get I get questions like that a lot, where I'll, I'll Crap, yeah, that I've made and people are like, Oh, my gosh, I can't believe you <laughs> that up. When did you come? You know, how are you getting all this time? Yeah. The thing is, that me personally, I work on about 25 different things at once. And some things like I have a bunch of half finished dresses behind me that I started this summer. They're just missing a zipper and a hem. And I've slowly just been putting a zipper and a hem in them and then wearing them. And people are like, oh my gosh, you just whipped that dress up. No, this dress was six months in the making. About five of those months sat collecting dust. And that's just how my projects are, you know, and mm-hmm. as far as like writing a book goes, months, I mean, we're talking uh-huh. six months of work on and off work, not constant, you know, and I feel like yeah. that's, that's, you know, that's how I work. And I think everybody works a little bit differently. Sometimes some people will start a project and see it through to the end in one span of time. Most of us don't, you know, a lot of my projects, it'll be something I was interested in at the time. I'll start it. And then maybe my passion took me somewhere else and I never finished it. Sometimes I'll circle back and I'll be like, oh, I didn't have the level of a lot of times it's, I didn't, I didn't know how to finish it. You know, the other day I finished a, a bag that I remember I got stuck on how to f- figure out how to finish it. Now I have the skills. I've had a little bit more experience. And I was like, oh, I just had to put the zipper in this way. And now it's done. You know, it's okay to mm-hmm. have something. And then it's also okay never to circle back to it. Right. But I think that's why I have this, it looks like I have this magical ability to bend time and finish all these. <laughs> you know, they've all just been sitting half finished for the last three years on a shelf somewhere. <laughs> and how do you Do you have any like tricks for kind of keeping track of all those projects or is it really just like look behind you and see, okay, that dress is ready. (laughs) I am probably the the least organized person on the planet. I am, I'm just like a hot mess. But one thing that does work for me (laughs) is I'm a visual person. So I Mm -hmm. have learned that I have to keep things visible projects visible, to-do lists visible. Art supplies have to be out and visible for me. If I put things in a drawer, if I put things away, I will forget all about it. I have the worst memory. So recently, since I've been home, something that has helped me kind of stay on task is hanging clipboards up with to-do lists. I love these little miniature clipboards that you can buy. And right now I have a bunch in my sewing room. One of them has like a sketch for an idea on it. Another one has pattern pieces so I don't lose them. You know, another one has the sleeves that I've started for a dress that I don't want to lose track of. So they're just on a clipboard and down in my workspace where I do my lessons, I have my projects kind of hung up on the wall for dinosaur week. So I know, okay, on Monday, we're doing these portraits. On Tuesday, we're doing these 
egg dinosaurs popping out of dino eggs. Uh, if I keep that visible, I'll lose it. I'll lose track of it. I'll forget my plan. So me, everything has to be out on a pegboard, hanging up, visible. Yeah. And that's what helps me stay on track and stay focused. And, you know, having running lists also helps me, but they have to be visible. I, you know, I used to have all my lists and books and little sketchbooks and planners. And now I have to tear them out and hang them up and be able to physically see, okay, this is what I'm going to do first. This is what I'll do next. But that's, that's kind of what helps keep me in check and keep me in line and keep me a little bit more focused. Otherwise, I'm all <laughs> And I love how you've kind of figured that out. Like, you know that about yourself. And you're like, okay, so this is what I'm going to do. This is what will work. And I feel like that's something everybody's got to got to do. <laughs> it's 45 years in figuring it out. Like, well, you know, otherwise it's all over the counters and all over my tables and stuff Right. that I have to have it out. Cause I used to try really hard to put it away, put these things away, put it in a bin, put it on the shelf. And then I realized, but now I, I can't find it. I, you know, I don't always put things back in the same spot, but now knowing that, like you said about myself, if it's hung up, if I know where to find it, I'll, I might stick with it a little bit more. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm, I have a million to do lists. And I was realizing I keep losing them if they're if they're in a book, I'm the same as you like, I'll I won't look and I like if it's multiple pages as well. It's just hard for me to think about it if it's not a visual thing. But one thing that I've loved is actually like keeping my to do lists on my phone and computer. I use Google Keep, which just lets you put lists and you can sketch in it. So then they're digital and they can't get lost. They can't fall out of my pocket or be like underneath another drawing or get paint on them and be like hidden. That sounds <laughs> so, amazing. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. But it, I mean, it's not something you can put all over your wall, but you could right. have it like on your screen posted. Yeah. yeah. That's just that's been helpful for kind of keeping track for me. And it is totally something everybody's got to figure out what works best for you. Definitely. Like we were talking about with teaching, it's all just so individual. Mm -hmm. for sure. You s sort of suggested use whatever you've got in terms of recording and sharing lessons right now. Mm -hmm. But are there any resources that have been really helpful for you, you know, in terms of like technologies that have worked well, that are kind of easy, or even if there's any sort of tutorials or things that you've used over the years to help figure it out? Yeah, one thing that I like to record that I've always used for recording my videos, I used to use my I used to use my camera. Mm -hmm you know, when I first started. And if you're going to use your camera, it's it's nice. It's probably going to give you the best picture, especially if you have a nice camera. But I think right now, most of us are more focused on speed. Yeah. We're not focused necessarily on the quality. We're just trying to get as much quantity out there for our kids as possible, you yeah. know, especially those classroom teachers who probably have to produce more than we do. Mm -hmm. So for that, I just think my phone has been great. You know, especially if you have a, a more a newer phone, the quality is going to be fine. And I use iMovie. It's so easy. People ask me all the time, how do you use iMovie? It, it, you know what? Just play with it. It's right. YouTube has probably thousands of <laughs> tutorials. It's far better job. I know I have an older video, several years now, probably five years old, that walks you through how to use iMovie on your laptop if you're going to upload it from your, you know, whatever device, whether it be a camera or an iPad or your phone. 
but it's so simple. I mean, and I am literally the the least tech person on the planet. I'm so low tech, but yet I've managed to have a blog and a podcast and (laughs) create videos. So I can do it. it. It's just a matter of if you get stumped, Google search it, right? Watch video. It's, it's not tough at all. So that, that would be what I would suggest. Yeah. Just keep it simple. Oh yeah. Yeah. And you don't even need to edit it. Like I said, just hit record. And if you're like, I don't have an iPhone, so I can't use iMovie and I don't want to learn how to use software, then don't. Right. Then just that bad boy and call it a day. Yeah. You know, it'll be fine. Yep. Yeah. It's helped me to think about it as, you know, when I go into the classroom, of course I comb my hair and like maybe put on a little bit of cover up so I look like I slept even when I didn't. (laughs) But that's it. I'm not, you know, being super self-conscious all day when I'm standing in front of 30 kids. So why should I be so self-conscious when I'm on video in front of those kids? That is a great way to think about it. You're exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. So starting to wrap up, just a few kind of like get to know you questions. Mm -hmm. Is there anything you are curious about right now? You know what? Mm. I, now that I have time, a little bit of time, I have always wanted to learn how to airbrush. And, you know, it's so like, I love the nostalgia of it, the 80s vibe of it. And so last Christmas, my mom bought me an airbrush kit. It is still in the box. And I'm having flashbacks to when my mom bought me a sewing machine back in the early 2000s before I knew how to sew. And that thing, I had begged her, I, you know, what do you want for Christmas? I want a sewing machine. I've wanted one forever. She gets me one. It sat in the box for probably a year. And then I remember it just kind of eased it out of the box. And I was so afraid of it. And I'm having the same experience with this silly airbrush thing. Uh. I want to learn how to do it, but I'm like, ooh, but I don't know how. I'm talking myself out of it. So I'm curious about it. I'm airbrush curious right now. So that's something I'm I'm interested in. And like I said, I'm trying to, I'm working on, not trying to, I'm, I'm trying to change my language here to, to make sure that I'm per- pushing myself forward. I'm yes. working on publishing a book. And so I'm working on <laughs> that out and trying to figure that out on my own, you know, mm-hmm. trying to not necessarily think, okay, I need to find someone else who knows how to do that. Why can't I learn how to do it? I'm an art person. Surely I can figure out how to lay something out. So right. a couple of things that I'm curious about right now. So yeah. well, pull that airbrush stuff out of the box. <laughs> <laughs> Make a beautiful sunset t-shirt with my name yes. or something. Oh. I love it. (laughs) Well, I love right now, I feel like I've seen, I'm seeing so much art, like in the gallery world and the fine art, whatever you want to call it, like, using things like embroidery and sewing and airbrushing, spray paint, all of that stuff, like craft is making a comeback. (laughs) Grand crafts are back. Yep. Yes. Mm -hmm. Gotta love it. Yeah. So I see that in your future, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be at the next uh, county fair with my airbrush booth. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, sell some polymer clay earrings on the side. Mm. Some dresses. <laughs> oh, yeah. Get now. There you go. <laughs> 
Another just kind of fun question. What is your go-to order at your favorite restaurant? Oh gosh, right now I'm just dying for anything different than the food we have in this house because we've not even been doing much takeout. We're just trying to be extremely careful. Yeah. I'm dying for some pizza from our Uh, local favorite pizza places that have like the the traditional Italian oven. Oh gosh, I'm drilling mm. sushi. I would Ooh, love yes. that right now. So those are some things that I've just like, I've had dreams about certain oh. takeout and, and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. We've been careful with that stuff too. And then also our grocery stores are like out of everything. So mm-hmm. <laughs> got a lot of potatoes. <laughs> oh my God. Oh. If I never have to have another bite of shepherd's pie, I will be so happy. <laughs> Oh, yes. What kind of music are you listening to lately? Oh, geez. You know, it's it's bad because I, <laughs> I've kind of swapped out podcasts for music, you know, mm-hmm. but music related, if you've not listened to the Dolly Parton, the podcast about Dolly Parton, it's great. Oh. And there's a lot of her music in there. And so I might go down a rabbit hole of, you know, Dolly Parton land. I got a record player last Christmas and that really inspired me to just start hitting the flea market and the store and scouring for records. So I've been listening to a lot of old records. I have a Sly and the Family Stone album that I absolutely love and Blues Brothers album that these are just the thrift store finds that I'm totally digging along with a whole bunch of Disney records that that I share in my art room with my kids that are really fun to listen to. Oh, awesome. I've worn the Alvin and the Chipmunks album out. So that's my top 40 (laughs) right now. I love it. What other what other podcasts are you listening to? You know, I'm usually I love listening to them during the school year, you know, when we were in school. So I've kind of dropped off. But like I said, the Dolly Parton one was great. I was listening to the A Beautiful Mess podcast. I don't know if you're familiar with mm-hmm. that one, but yeah, it was great. a lot of great home decor tips and stuff like that. Not my strong suit, but I do enjoy listening to those two sisters talk about it. I'm a big crime podcast fan. So, oh, yeah. Of course, everybody was watching Tiger King. Well, there's actually a podcast that's based on that story, and it's called Over My Dead Par- Body Season 2. If you're a fan of that show, that podcast might be right up your alley. But I think one of my all-time favorites that I always tell people to listen to is Missing Richard Simmons. That gave me a, a whole new level of respect, you know, for Richard Simmons. And if you've not listened to it, it's it's absolutely fabulous. Talk about a person who's just inspiring as a human and inspiring as a teacher and just a, a very interesting person himself. So that was one that I always recommend to people if they're new to listening to podcasts that they should really check out. Nice. Well, I will have to check it out. Yeah, I yeah, listen yeah. to a lot, but they're all art and teaching and art and teaching. <laughs> yeah. Maybe getting out of that would be good. See, I, I kind of am more of the, the, I don't want to call them trashy podcast, guilty pleasure. That's what we'll yes. call them. I'm more of a guilty, guilty pleasure podcast listener. So yeah. And is there anybody that you would want to give like a thank you or a shout out to? Mm-hmm. Let me think so many. Gosh, so many people. And I guess last thing, where can our listeners connect with you online? 
if they haven't already. Sure. You can find me on Instagram at Cassie underscore Stevens. And that ends with a Z because there's another Cassie Stevens out there who beat me to get in that IG. (laughs) (laughs) And then of course my blog, basically, if you want to find me, you can just, everything has my name on it. You know, my YouTube channel is my name, Kathy Stevens, where I have a lot of lessons for kids, but also DIYs for adults and other artists and anybody who's creative curious. And yeah, yeah, I'm I, I'm pretty much all over the place. So if you're looking yeah. for me, you just find me. Google Kathy Stevens. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. My um, books, I have a clay book and a fibers book for kids. Those can be found on, you know, wherever you like to purchase books on Amazon, that kind of thing. Again, just search my name and they'll pop up. Awesome. So, yeah. And I'll link to all of that as well. Great. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time and for sharing so much with us. Of course, it was fun. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Cassie. I loved hearing such encouragement from her, from art making to teaching to just hitting record right now. The more I think about it, the more I feel that her superpower is encouragement. Every time I watch her videos, I feel it whether intended for kids or other art teachers. She beams enthusiasm and getting things done. She talked about allowing her passions and interests to change over the course of her life, going from oil painting to fashion, and being open to continued change. Thank you, Cassie. Thank you so much for listening. As always, you can reach me at Teaching Artist Podcast on Instagram or Teaching Artist Podcast at gmail.com. Who do you want to hear from? Please share your recommendations of teaching artists. And if you loved this episode, please subscribe, leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts, and follow me. It really makes a big difference. Thank you. Thank you.